Life is for the strong. It is earned, not given. Welcome to this week's episode, or I'm sorry, bonus episode of Warfare, Advancement, and Revisionism. My name is Preston Floyd, and as always, I'm your host. Now, I know I typically don't do uh, a quote for these bonus episodes, but um, this movie has a couple of really good one-liners, all delivered by that character, uh, Tao is the name of the character, uh, and that's one of, uh, you know, some really good ones that he, he puts... Um, he puts out into the world in this. Um, but uh, first, I'd like to thank everyone who has been listening so diligently and has been enjoying. Uh, it really means a lot that um, you know I've kind of gotten the feedback and response that I have for what is a very uh, personal passion project. Uh, now, for those of you who are regular listeners, you know that this episode has been long promised, but uh, I keep having to put it off due to various reasons. This was supposed to be out on Memorial Day, <laughs> essentially, but um, just due to travel issues and then real-life work issues at my, my day job, as it were, um, I just haven't had the time to sit down and actually record this. So, uh, but that being said, uh, I am finally have a nice, lazy Sunday to do this, and then, of course, I'll be recording our next regular episode shortly after this one. Uh, so, since I've got a long day of recording ahead of me, uh, let's go ahead and get on into the meat of this episode. And that is a review slash critique of 2018's Alpha. So, essentially what this is, it uh, follows a prehistoric journey of a young boy slash man um, who befriends a wolf and uh, essentially this is the story of how man first tamed wolves and led to the domestication of them and turning them into dogs. Uh, so uh, right off the bat uh, kind of a very interesting production cycle that this movie underwent. Um, it was actually filmed I think all in I want to say it was 2016. It was either 2016 or 2017. And they actually released the trailer in June of 2017. But it did not actually release until a whole year after that. Um, and I'm not sure exactly why. This is, of course, uh, pre-pandemic. So that's not, a, um, that's not a reason. I don't know if it was an issue with the... Um, the marketing or if it was just due to other issues with the studio it's hard to say um, that said this movie actually made money um, which is you know a little surprising considering you know I don't think a lot of people remember this movie or even you know I don't know anyone that personally saw it in theaters um, but I had a budget of I believe 50 million and it almost doubled that it got up to 99 million uh, worldwide I believe so very good uh, doubling of the money uh, and it you know it is something that's very nice it's a um, you know it's a one-off it's not part of a franchise and it is an original piece of material it's not based on anything which is um, you know I love a good Marvel movie and you know uh, sci-fi genre Star Trek at least the old ones uh, 
and Star Wars, also the old ones for the most part. But um, it's nice to see that there's still original content that can make money and can be done well. Um, now, uh, this movie, also another odd part about this, I mentioned that trailer. This movie was marketed extremely weirdly, at least initially. It, it almost came off like it was a, like a 1990 Disney movie. Uh, almost it's like, you know, boy meets dog and they have a fun little family adventure. That's kind of how it was marketed, at least initially. Um, it's not that. It is not that at all. It is a very gritty um, story. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not R-rated. You know, you could, you could let a, you know, a decently sensitized um, teenager watch this with no problems or like even a preteen. I, I don't think this would cause any major traumas or anything like that but it was again marketing for this was all over the place i think if they had had a little bit more consistency it um it would have done even better than it did so um now uh this is starring um i believe the young man that played the the young hunter uh, is cody smith fee uh, as far as i know this was his first real like breakout star role and then um his uh, the next biggest star, uh, or at least in the movie, the next biggest star was uh, Johannes Hakur Johansson. Johansson, um, and he's he's a very well known actor. Uh, he's Icelandic. Um, he's been in oh God, he was in Game of Thrones uh, for a few episodes. He was in um, uh, Atomic Blonde. Uh, which is a Charlize Theron spy movie. Pretty good. He played uh, Yuri in that. Uh, he was also in um, oh, The Innocence. The Innocence, which is a very um, kind of trippy uh, sci-fi or supernatural television series. Um, it's on Netflix, I believe. Uh, he, he's in that. But um, So even if you don't know his name, you know the actor. You, you'd recognize him. Um, but, uh, he was, uh, he was Lim in Game of Thrones, um, one of the earlier seasons. Uh, he was, that's one of the, um, Brotherhood Without Banners, uh, characters. He was also, uh, Sferi in The Last Kingdom, which is another very good, um, historical kind of drama series that, uh, will be covered in future episodes as a bonus material. Um. And then the, there are other actors in this, um, and I'll go over them kind of, you know, as we get to them uh, in the story. Uh, but these are the two main human actors, um, and they, they both do a very good job. Um, uh, Tao is the name of Johannes's character, and he is the, the chief of this tribe, and uh, uh, Cody is the um, son of the chief, uh, and his name, his character's name is Keta, and he is. Uh, this is his first hunt. Um, the other big star of this, which I'm going to go ahead and introduce at the outset, is uh, is the dog, um, and it is a very interesting kind of how they did this. So the, all the um, all the animals or all the dogs in this or all the wolves in this are based on actual uh, wolf dogs. I think they're Czechoslovakian wolf dogs 
is the thing. And they've kind of been touched up with CGI to make them even more wolf in appearance and, you know, make them larger, as the case may be. So, um, go ahead and kind of start the synopsis. Uh, movie begins with um, a group of young men all sitting around a fire, and they are kind of chiseling out and, well, not chiseling, but shaping and sharpening uh, stones uh, for spear tips. Uh, and they are very moving very quickly, all trying to get their work done, and eventually they are stopped by the, the chief of the tribe, Tao, and he kind of goes around in a circle, kind of examines their work, runs his finger along the edges, um, and you know, he'll either say pass or fail. Um, and if you pass, the, the young men that pass kind of stand off to the side with the hunters and the those that fail go to stand with the, um, go back to stand with the children and the women. Um, now his son, um, Keta, played by Cody Smith, uh, McPhee, he passes, uh, and passes quite well. And you can really tell that the actor, uh, playing Tao, he does a great job in this. He's extremely pleased with his son's work. He runs his finger just barely across the blade and it causes an immediate, you know, small cut. And he's very pleased and he kind of shows it to his number two in the group who, you know, who acknowledges it very clearly that this was a very good job. Um, and then, odd thing, so, you know, you pass. Um, you're set aside with the, the other hunters and then they are immediately kind of jumped in, for lack of a better term. Um, the hunters that are going on the hunt begin to beat the two boys that passed. And once um, once they've been roughed up a little, not, not too badly, but they've got a couple of cuts and bruises, um, they are told to stop. Um, and you can kind of see um, uh, Keta's mother, Tao's wife, um, she's kind of not happy about this. Um, he, she, I guess she felt that it went on a little too long. Uh, but, you know, Keta kind of, or Tao, excuse me, eventually he, he orders it to stop and he delivers another one of his uh, great one-liners from this movie. Uh, he says that uh, pain will travel, or will journey with us. Um, Tao's got a lot of, like, little short maxims for uh, his his people. Um, but uh, once the once they're done beating, they are kind of hugged and welcomed by the other hunters, you know, being accepted. Uh, and, you know, Tao makes very clear that, you know, this is an important part of their lives. They have to do this and that, you know, basically get ready for a very long and tough journey. Um, during the evening, um, of course, Keta still lives in his parents' uh, hut, uh, and he, you know, he kind of overhears his mother just talking and just, you know, saying that, you know, she doesn't think he's ready um, because, you know, he's, you know, he doesn't kind of lead the same way Tao does. But Tao is like, look, he's he's got to do it, and you know, he's a, you know, he's a tough kid, and he'll he'll come through. Um, and, but you can kind of get the feeling that this kind of like put something on Keta through most of this this part of the hunt. 
uh, and he definitely feels like he has stuff to prove. And that's going to kind of compound as other events happen on their journey. Um, but before we kind of continue with that, I do want to talk about some of the, um, or the language that they use for this. Um, now, they are not, um, they are not speaking a specific language um, that you know, actually exists or existed. What they're using is known as a constructed language or a conlang. Um, it is, in this movie, um, it was done up by a professor from a university in Canada, uh, UBC Okanagan. Uh, it was just uh, derived by Christine Schreier, uh, and she uses um, uh, a couple of different, um, I guess, proto-languages that she drew from to kind of construct this. Proto-Nostratic, uh, Proto-Eurasiatic, and Proto-Dine-Caucasian. She also did like some Neanderthal language, like re, you know what she considered a Neanderthal language for one scene. I don't know if that scene ended up getting in the movie because I don't remember Neanderthals specifically in this. But um, those languages, uh, Proto-Nostratic, uh, just for for you know curiosity's sake, it is kind of a um, it's a hypothetical like macro family, which would include the indigenous languages of Eurasia, um, which would be uh, Kartvelian, Indo-European, uh, Uralic, um, and then, you know, some other supposed uh, language families, which some have fallen out of being considered part of a, you know, of a specific family or they've been moved around stuff. Um, but this is a hypothetical language. It was kind of come up with in the early 20th century. Um, I think it's kind of been, it's become much more controversial as time has gone by because like there's not as clear of a connection between uh, some of these languages and you know, due, due to time for how long people have been living in certain places, certain languages could not have been a part of it. Or if they were, it was like a cousin to what actually came into being um it's all theoretical it's it's very esoteric and i'm not well versed enough in linguistics to kind of give a full breakdown but um yeah nostratic is basically like the the mother tongue like the first language um or at least the the survivor uh it's the it's the ancestor of all surviving languages essentially um which, of course, again, very controversial, especially these days. Um, now, Proto-Eurasiatic is a little bit more founded. Um, a little bit more. It's still also a um, kind of a uh, controversy in certain circles. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be part of or a descendant of Nostratic to have existed. Um, and then you have the proto dine Caucasian, which is um, which is kind of like the language family that would be involved um, Basque, uh, North Caucasian, uh, Tibetan, uh, those kind of languages. Um, 
uh, basically like the, the step language before Proto-Indo-European. Um, which that, that's something we might get into in a future episode in actual real life, but essentially she kind of combined the theoretical concepts for all these languages and kind of came up with them. And I think actually one of the terms, uh, father, uh, which is Ada, uh, they actually use, that's actually a real word. That ended up being in a few languages, I think in Southeast Asia. I think Malaysian is the is what I read for it. Um, but that's still kind of the term. Uh, that's used for father in those areas. So, um, very well researched, and I, I do like that, um, even if you can't really say for sure. It definitely gives, it definitely gives a, um, a certain realistic feel to, um, to the world and to the characters. Uh, and it makes you definitely think that this is a different time. Um, in addition to that, they, this is uh, takes place at 20,000 years ago uh, in Europe. Uh, and these are, um, you know, this is kind of shown by, you can still see a lot of glacier and winter, uh, severe winter weather from the last ice age still kind of hanging around. You see woolly rhinoceroses, which are great. I also think that contributes to the kind of the otherworldly feel to this, and it's uh, it's all very well done. And uh, you know, woolly rhinoceroses would very much be dying out at this point. They're they're getting ready to hit that mass extinction event uh, that happens, but um, they're still there and they're still being followed. And of course, you have wolves, uh, step bison, which is the key for this hunt. This is what these people are going after. You also run into cave lions. Uh, these are very fatal, and that kind of leads us back into, I guess, the next part of our synopsis. Um, as these, uh, as uh, Keda's tribe travels uh, to hunt, or at least the hunters of his tribe travel to hunt, they follow several megalithic stone structures, and they are, you know, as they're being led by his father, he's kind of teaching him what he needs to know to lead in the future, um, kind of planning for his son to succeed him in someday. Uh, and he's just, you know, trying to teach him stuff that he hasn't already learned in the village from the women and the, um, the other children he learns with. Um, on their first night out in the kind of the plains, they run across a, um, a wild boar that they kind of catch to get to eat and uh, Tao tries to get Keta to kill the boar but he, he can't do it he can't bring himself to kill the boar for whatever reason and um, eventually his father just completes the job and then while they're around uh, the fire cooking and uh, eating um, they are trapped and Keta's uh, friend I guess his um, his, his partner that he came in to the hunt with, uh, the other young man that passed the, the sharpening tests, uh, he is attacked by a cave lion. Uh, and it's just like instantaneously killed. The lion just kind of cuts through their, their circle uh, around the fire with just no one being able to do anything. Uh, and it definitely creates an atmosphere of danger and just um, 
you know, fear that you'd have to live with out on the plains uh, at this time. Um, and it doesn't last long. You, you can hear the, the, the other young man, I believe his name is Kappa, die like almost immediately. Uh, in the morning, they kind of give him a uh, memorial service. They kind of place a little group of stones all kind of decorated uh, and kind of like a rough cairn uh, to symbolize that that's where someone, um, you know, passed. Uh, along the way, they also meet another tribe of hunters. Uh, they are, uh, they speak a very similar dialect, but it's not the exact same, but they understand each other just fine, and you can tell that they've kind of hunted together in the past. The leader of that group and Tao are good you know, they kind of got a very nice working relationship, and they respect each other, you can tell. Um, and this, uh, this opposite leader, you know, he, um, you know, he kind of, you know, he's, he seems a little wary of Keva, not because he doesn't necessarily like him, but he is, uh, as you eventually find out, he's lost his own son um, during the hunt, and you can kind of tell that, you know, he can probably see a lot of Keva in him. Um Eventually, they get to the location of the uh, step bison that they've been hunting. They're on the edge of a cliff, and, you know, they're able to kind of drive them, but one of the animals, a bull of the herd, kind of um, charges at Keta while he's, you know, while he's kind of separated um, from the group, or after the group kind of breaks rakes to kind of charge the, the bison herd off the cliff. Um, Keta kind of loses... Uh, loses his courage a little and um, he tries to run and this is a bad idea as the, the bison kind of like catches his um, his clothing in his horn and he starts to drag uh, Keta towards the cliff and um, Tao is able to hit the, the bison uh, with a spear to kill it but unfortunately it kind of throws him uh, you know down um, the cliff uh, as it's falling itself, and Keta is, um, he, he's able to catch himself on the side of the cliff, and the, the tribe, you know, tries to help him, but the cliff is so steep, I mean, you say sheer, just a flat rock surface, there's just a little bit of stuff to grab on, and, uh, what he's holding on to breaks, and Keta falls and hits him, gets hit several times on the way down, and he kind of, like, hits on, like, a little ledge, and he's stuck there, and he's unconscious, um, and Tao, uh, his father, of course, is screaming, and he's trying to, like, climb down to get him, but, you know, his tribe stops, and they're like, no, you, you can't do this. Uh, and essentially, basically, while the tribe is slaughtering these uh, bison for meat and other byproducts, um, basically, Tao spends the whole time just yelling that Keta to wake up, and he doesn't, and eventually, uh, they have to kind of... Um, they have to kind of leave him there. Um, and they perform another uh, kind of um, burial ceremony right on the edge of the cliff um, when they leave their cairn. Um, and they do something a little interesting here, and I'm glad they didn't follow through with it, but um, during the travels, they they run across, you know, they're in a cave one night, and um, they hear wolves, and Tao kind of explains, you know, that the wolves are led by an alpha, and, you know, that alpha needs to be strong, and all this other stuff. Basically, he's trying to say you need to be, like, like a, 
a wolf alpha and you know someday otherwise someone's going to kind of like challenge you um and tau has a very fierce looking second in command and it's kind of hinted that he may like you know that he might be that challenge for uh tau uh, that he might try to use this to a certain, but they never do that, and I'm glad they 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 kind of. I think they might have like decided, and I, I don't again. I don't know the script writing process. I don't know if it's been like worked around, but you could definitely uh, tell that this guy is a very competent person. He's definitely the number two in the tribe, um, and you know he and he cares. Uh, like it's not just him. You know, postulate. He's he's not like a hand wringing mustache twirling like schemer in the background uh you know plotting to usurp leadership i'm glad they didn't do that because that's kind of cheesy and overdone and it really doesn't fit with like the themes of the movie um but that said um you know and he you know he very much you know he's trying to get uh tau the leader to just leave he's like look i, I know you're upset it sucks, but, you know, you're our leader. We need you to get us home. And eventually he gets through, and he's kind of the reason that they have this ceremony and they escape. Or not escape, but they return home uh, without Keta in tow. Now, of course, that'd be a very bleak ending to a very short movie. Um, but as you find out, uh, Tao is, or Keta is not dead. He has merely been knocked unconscious, and he's probably got a broken rib. And he definitely has a broken leg, um, and he wakes up as a buzzard begins to peck at him. Uh, this wakes him up, and he kills the buzzard just on instinct. He grabs it by the neck and just slams it into the to the um, side of the cliff. Um, and you know he's he's in a lot of pain, and he's trying to climb up, and he he gets a decent way up before um, kind of uh, the, the rocks kind of crumble under his hand again. And then there's a rainstorm as this is going on, and he is eventually thrown into uh, this river valley that, is, that was dry when the bison herd went in there, but because of the, the rains, it, it floods rapidly, and this saves his life. And eventually he's able to kind of swim enough to, to pull himself out, and he's able to set his leg in a very rudimentary fashion and begin the long task up to where his group was camped at this top of the of the mountain. Uh, he finds the Karen that they left for him, so he knows they assumed him for dead. Uh, and he begins to kind of follow back the way that they came. Um, and of course, along the way, he uh, does some very um, rudimentary survival skills. You know, he, he has to keep resetting his leg several times. He has to eat. Uh, worms that he finds in just like you know drying pools uh, he eats bugs um, eventually he finds some rocks that he can use to kind of make some rudimentary spears and um, he kills a or he tries to kill a rabbit but during that process he is attacked by a group of wolves uh, and during that struggle Excuse me. And during uh, that attack, he is able to get up in a tree, but um, he, one wolf is able to kind of grab onto his leg as he's climbing, and he kind of reacts and like slashes it with his uh, spear tip, and uh, it really hurts the wolf, and the wolf is kind of left there. Eventually, uh, after a couple of days of being stuck in the tree, the wolves get bored and they leave him, but they also leave their injured companion. 
Um, and he's about to, once he gets down, he's about to kill the wolf he hurt, but for whatever reason, uh, his soft heart, I guess, that prevented him from killing, like, the trapped boar, um, he feels bad for the animal, so what he does is he kind of takes some string or leather, um, leather strips that he has from his, um, uh, outfit. He, uh, ties the wolf's mouth shut and it, he takes it with him uh, they get to a cave where he finds um, evidence of kind of um, an altar essentially like there's a skull like on a little uh, stone um, uh, stalagmite or stalactite I forget which one <laughs> and it's got some uh, mortar and pestle around you know for kind of crushing things up and he uses that to kind of um, make a medicine for himself and he puts it on his injured foot uh, to kind of fight infection uh, he does the same thing for the wolf and the wolf wakes up during this and he's you know very um it, you know he says wolf's wake so it's kind of angry at him and eventually um you know he he trusts the wolf enough because the wolf is in bad enough shape that he'll untie it he gives him some water in the in the bowl that he used to mix up the medicine, and he uh, he catches a rabbit in a snare and he starts cooking the rabbit, and the wolf is like you know trying to get his food but he like punches it and just like makes it back off, and you know basically establishes dominance over the wolf very quickly. Um, eventually though, um, he kind of uh, he gets well enough that he can travel. His foot is a lot better. And he begins to further trek back. Um, along the way, they are um, they go through other you know survival tests, you know just you know water, food, that kind of stuff. And they really show some good survival stuff in this. It's it's very Call of the Wild esque, which is a great book if you've never read it. Um, and I, I really love like the slow build of. The, the relationship between the two. Um, and Keta, you know, he's not, he's not, he's not training this animal for any specific reason. He's just, he kind of felt bad, you know, about hurting it because it was just trying to survive the same as him. And uh, they, you know, eventually they do come across a pack of wolves, a rather large one, but they do, um, I guess Alpha is a part of this pack and they, they kind of, um, Alpha kind of comes out and just kind of greets them, and you know they kind of leave Ken alone because he, I guess, Alpha kind of speaks up for him for lack of a better term, um, and you know, eventually uh, Alpha kind of leaves with the pack and Keta kind of gives his blessing, and he kind of continues his journey alone. Um, but uh, the it's taken him a while because of his wounds. Um, the season has started to change into winter. Um, he gets to a frozen lake, um, and where he runs back into this pack of wolves. Um, and there's, uh, this is, they run, he runs into them on a frozen lake. They're eating a carcass. Uh, he runs, uh, to them, uh, but the ice breaks and, uh, he kind of falls through and Alpha kind of is able to fish him out by grabbing onto his, um, his clothes. And Alpha continues to journey with him from that point on. They find a man who is frozen to death in his tent, and they get a bow and arrow from there. Um, and then they 
kind of um, uh, they they are then attacked by some cave hyenas, um, uh, and they run into a, a cave oddly enough to try to escape from them. However, once they are inside, they are attacked by a cave lion. Um, Alpha uh, attacks the animal uh, to try to save, um, you know, to save Keta, uh, even though, of course, cave lions are massive and wolves, while larger than dogs by a lot, um, is not able to stand up to it. Uh, Keta is able to use the bow to kill the lion with an arrow. Uh, of course, Alpha is very badly wounded. Uh, and Keta is as well. They're both, um, they're both in bad shape. But uh, Keta is able to carry the wolf, uh, at least he's that well. And thankfully enough, they're, they're close enough to the village that Keta is able to get them there in time. Um, he passes out almost immediately into getting into their, his, his family's camp. Um, and of course, they're shocked to see him. Uh, and then um, they take um, the pair to the village uh, healer, uh, medicine woman, and she kind of, you know, uh, tends to both their wounds. And then during that process, Alpha, um, the dog, um, gives birth to, uh, or I'm sorry, the wolf gives birth to a litter of puppies. Uh, so Keta is very surprised that Alpha is actually a female. And then they're kind of welcomed into the group. Uh, and then you kind of see the final scene with uh, Keta and Alpha together. They're kind of like just watching the sun uh, kind of set. And then these uh, very adorable looking puppies are kind of just like trying to get Keta's attention. Uh, and then it cuts forward to some time and you see um, the tribe each with their own uh, animal running with them. Um, very good movie. Um, there are a little bit of like hokey, you know, elements to it. Um, but the levels that, you know, they have to go to through survival, um, the brutality in teaching, uh, training, um, the stuff that they'd have to eat to survive while they are out in the wild, um, very, very well done. Um, so I think, I think this is a very good movie, very underrated. I'd give it a solid B. It's not quite as good as Quest for Fire, in my opinion, but, um, it's enjoyable. I definitely recommend it. Um, it is free right now on Amazon Prime, um, but you do have to, um, it does have ads, unless you rent it or buy it, of course. Um, in which case you don't have to worry about it, but uh, it is free with ads. It's like the freebie extension for Amazon Prime. Um, some of the stuff I didn't like in the movie, I felt like the CGI does not hold up that well for the animals, especially the wolves. Like it's not a problem when they're running or they're in action, but like when you're just kind of looking at uh, Alpha kind of in the cave, it, it does not look like a real animal, which is, you know, Obviously, if it's CGI, you you know that. But I found out after the fact that this this dog is actually played by a uh, Czechoslovakian wolfhound uh, who's named Chuck. Uh, they're not credited, by the way, but that's just what I found out doing reading about the movie. Um, but I would you know I would not know that this was based on a real animal. Like I thought it was just completely computer generated. At least when you know you're doing the close ups in the cave and they're kind of just like kind of sitting together so that doesn't hold up all that well um i thought they were gonna do like again there were a couple times where you thought they might have like um you know kind of a 
internal power struggle thing um, between Tao and his number two, or Keta and Tao's number two. Thankfully, they, they don't go through with that. It's just, it becomes very much a survival story, which I think, again, plays very much into the, the strengths of the movie. Um, there are some very nice small details, of course, when they're kind of like crawling along at the hunting scene about to launch their attack. Um, you know, an ant's crawling across one guy's, ants are crawling across one guy's hand, and he eats them uh, just to, you know, get, I guess, a little bit of protein before the attack. Um, it's just really small touches that make this movie great. Um, or at least make, or the greater part of the movie, again, uh, B, B for me. Um, so I do recommend it. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I kind of wanted to go into on this. Um, yes, uh, there was another problem I had with it. So the, the bow that they find, uh, I don't know if that's accurate at this point. I do think bows and arrows are probably older than we believe, but what they would be are not what Keta finds. I think it's a little too large. Um, if you look at people like, and again, I know that they're they're bound by the materials they have on hand, but if you look at like hunter-gatherers in Africa, their bows tend to be much smaller uh, and more, as well as their arrows, and they tend not to have that kind of penetrating power they're used mainly to hit smaller animals or to um, poison, you know, to cope with poison and then kill them just with like a small cut. Um, so um, I know there is some there is some debate, and we mentioned it in the episode when we were talking about microlith blades with it, whether they were used for arrows or for throwing spears or javelins. That is a bit of a debate. I don't know if they have bows and arrows at this point this far north. Um, but, you know, maybe that you could argue that this person is coming from the South, that they, you know, that they had the technology where they're coming from, and they just happened to stumble across it. Um, but, uh, yeah. Whatever the case, it's, it's a small thing. Um, and I, I obviously don't believe that this is the true first domestication of uh, wolves. I don't think it would need any kind of dramatic fight for survival together to tame a wolf. Um, honestly, you could do it probably in a couple generations if they were just falling behind a group of humans or staying on the outskirts of a human camp, if they were just eating like whatever leftovers that the humans aren't getting, you know, or aren't using. I think the wolves would rapidly become dependent on humans. Um, they don't have to be you know, hand-fed, that kind of stuff. Um, it could very much be done on the outskirts and over over not even that long of a time. Um, animals and plants can be bred very quickly. Um, there's an example of a Russian um, geneticist. Um, in recent years, he basically created a domesticated fox, essentially, um, and it took him, I think, around 20 years to do that. Now, obviously, this is a little bit different. Uh, you're working with probably a much larger population um, and probably a much more dangerous population as well. Wolves are much more dangerous than uh, foxes, of course. 
but you know i think i think you could probably have gotten some domesticated wolves fairly quickly if you know if you if you realized that they were becoming dependent on you or if they weren't attacking you or vicious you could probably get like a decently sized group within a hundred or so years so um yeah i i don't think it was obviously this dramatic and i don't even think you would need to be you know that caring for wolves um just do the way wolves work um you know they're they're not um they're not that much different from from dogs at least in terms of behavior uh, now of course they are very dangerous and you should not try to tame an actual wolf um, especially if they are starving <laughs> and you were in the way of food but uh, again I don't think the the first steps of domestication were planned or you know uh, that active it was probably a very passive uh, process at least not at the start for humans obviously as you know we began to control them more and have more of them to control that begins the more uh, domesticated aspect of them and then of course that leads them to becoming fully um, dogs at that point but again that's all theoretical don't really know for sure um, but uh, yeah that obviously is not as interesting of a movie a group of people like <laughs> selectively breeding animals for a couple of centuries that's that's obviously not nearly as fun as this movie is uh, but yeah if you enjoy a good survival movie a nice uh, pseudo historical movie I give this a recommend uh, solid B seven and a half out of ten watch it enjoy I think uh, I think you'll I think you'll like it but uh, yeah so that's it for this bonus episode I hope you've enjoyed and wow this is a long one I talked almost 40 minutes about this uh, I, I need to actually make a real episode long as long as this at some point which I'll get to eventually but uh, yeah thank you for listening to this bonus episode I hope you've enjoyed it and uh, we will see you here uh, for the main episode and uh, we'll go from there. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed. Goodbye. Have a good rest of your day.